Good morning. What a privilege and a pleasure to be here. I think it was uh, Peter uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, when he woke up, he said, it is good for us to be here. And my wife's not here, but it's good for me to be here and to be in your presence. Uh, to Pastor Jeremy, thank you for the invitation. I enjoy our friendship. and. Uh, I feel it a privilege to be able to come and to share the Word of God anytime I'm invited. Uh, yes, I'm not pastoring actively now, but still involved in ministry. And I praise God for opportunities to come and share the Word of God. The great passion of my life is sharing the Word of God to people who love the Word of God. And I think I'm in that place. So praise God for that. I was sitting there and I was observing the, the music. I'm not familiar with it. I'm an old timer. I'm not familiar with it, but praise God, I was looking at the word. And I don't know if you know this, but the most important thing to God is worship. And the words that was on the screen, if you really met those from your heart, that's true worship. And guess what? That's really why we're here. To worship God. God is pleased with worship. And so anytime you get an opportunity to worship and praise God. So when you're, when you're singing songs, think of the words that you're saying. And I was looking at those words, and man, they were biblical words. And so praise God for those words and opportunity to come and to worship. So it's again my uh, privilege and pleasure to be here. And so Pastor Jeremy has asked me to come and to wrap up Galatians. So we're going to do that, but uh, if you don't mind, would you bow and pray with me? Dear Father, we love you and we thank you. What an awesome privilege to be able to come and to share the word of God with your people. So Father, we pray as we speak thy words that you may be honored, that your people might be edified, but more importantly, that you may be glorified. So we pray that you might receive the honor, praise, and glory. In the precious name of our risen Savior, the Lord Jesus, with thanksgiving. Amen. Not a whole lot I can add, I'm sure, because Pastor Jeremy has been, been uh, preaching. But you, you, one thing that you need to understand, and I've said where you sit a number of times, Pastor Jeremy is not just a preacher, but he's also a teaching preacher. Now, some preachers, they come and all they do is give you a, a Sunday morning snack. Well, Pastor Jeremy does not give you just a Sunday morning snack snack. Gives you the Word of God. He feeds you, okay? And so, praise God for the opportunity to come and to finish up Galatians, a great epistle by Paul. I want to read something about this epistle, and I'm sure that he's been over this a number of times, but notice what it says here. These, these were problems in, in, in Galatia. It says, Paul felt strongly that if he had relied on Jewish law for their relationship with God, they were denying the very point of the gospel, which was that a man's relationship with God depends on faith, not works. During the letter, Paul explains his own relationship with Jerusalem church, the Jerusalem church. He also explained the nature of Christian freedom, which results when people have faith in Christ Rather than trying to please God, 
through obedience to the law. And I'm sure he covered that. But there was a number of key words. When you look at the book of, of Galatians, a number of key words. Flesh, bondage, cross, son of God, freedom. Those are words that are used in the epistle. So we're going to look at the last um, uh, 12 verses or so. And we're going to see what Paul, how Paul begins now to wrap up this epistle. So I want you to notice, first of all, the first number uh, six. We're in Galatians 6, 6. Let the one who, te- who taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. You need to understand that teaching is essential to the body of Christ. Not just preaching. Preaching is very important. But teaching is the basic fundamental foundation of the church. Because one of the problems in many churches today is people are not taught. And that's why they're blown by every wind of doctrine that comes along because they're not taught the word of God. But here it talks about let's honor the person who teaches the word of God and who is faithful in teaching the word of God. The Word of God is so, so essential to the growth of the believer. It's not chicken dinners. It's not um, all the programs that we have. Okay? But the Word of God, and, and when we come together, we need to understand that the two things are very important in worship is the living Word, and the written word, the living word, and the written word. And listen, those who teach, teach the word of God, they're held to a, to a higher standard. James tells us that, held to a higher standard. So the word of God must be taught. In any church that is going to grow, the word of God must be taught. So now, what does the word of God really mean to me? Because we need to understand that we must be not just hearers of the word, as James says, but we also must be doers of the word. It's one thing to come here and listen to the great sermons that we hear and go away. As James talks about looking in the mirror, you see what you see and you walk away and do nothing about it. But we need to be doers of the word of God because when when God allows his servant to present the word of God, it is not just for words to be shooting in the air, but it's for the growth of the saints. Very important. Now, the word of God is very important to me personally, okay? Love the word of God. I've been in the word of God for a number of years. But I I want you to listen to this. When we talk about the word of God, it must be read. It must be meditated on. It must be studied, it must be memorized, it must be obeyed, and it must be shared. Facts about the Word of God. 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. Did you you know there were over 8,800 promises in the Word of God? Um, There were 40 authors over a period of about 12, uh, I'm sorry, 1,500 years. And we need to understand that God is the author. The scripture says uh, he 
It's God breathed, that he breathed out the word of God. So when God says something, guess what? We need to listen to what God has to say. The word of God is so essential. Well, what's in the word of God? We have warnings, principles, promises, judgments, comfort, um, illustrations, parables. Uh, we got themes. We got commandments. Um, what does the word of God do? It convicts. It converts. It combats. It corrects. It cleanses. It challenges. It commands us. And it comforts us. Word of God. Themes of the Bible. What is it about? It talks about the person and works of God, of Jesus, of Satan, and his angels. It talks about salvation. It talks about holy living. It talks about ministry. It talks about the history of God and man and prophecy, the Jewish nation, and so forth. It talks and tells us how to worship, what government should be about what prophecy is, what, what our future looks like, Christian living, ministry. All these things are in the Word of God. So when we look at the Word of God, it's not just a regular book. It is not a history book, but it's a book that changes lives. And God's out to change your life through the Word of God. Now, I want you to listen to this as well. Now, Reasons why I personally, but hopefully you too, love the Word of God. Why? It's bread when I'm hungry. It's light when I need a when I need a um, in the end of a tunnel. Strength when I'm weak. Friend when I'm friendless. A solution when I'm facing problems of life. Satisfaction when I'm feeling unfulfilled. An ark that keeps me from, from the flood waters. It provides and meets every need that I have. Proof that I am his and he's mine. The mirror that reveals the great God that we serve. The peace that passes all understanding. It brings unknown to the known. The same yesterday, today, forever. The courage that, can, that I can't muster. Commandment that controls my talk, the psalmonix that puts me to sleep, the bridge over troubled waters. That's the word of God. Now, I don't know what it means to you, but the word of God is essential to the Christian life and the Christian growth. So, Paul here talks about listen, teaching. Now, we need to honor the person who teaches, but more in person, more importantly, we need to honor the word of God that is taught. But now, notice further, okay? So we've looked at the word of God, but, but before I leave the word of God, something I want to also instill in your mind. Did you know that the word of God is errant? It's infallible? It's invincible? Uh, what does that mean? Inerrant means that there's no errors in the original writings of the word of God. It's infallible. It's the highest authority with the Holy Spirit on earth. It's invincible. 
Now, how do we know it's invincible? We look how long the Word of God has lasted. Why do people go against the Word of God and try to put down the Word of God? Because uh, 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 it's, it's, it's positive, it's something good. And so it's lasted over the centuries. Why? Because it's God spoken. And so the Word of God is invincible. Let's go further. So we look at the word of God, but I want you to notice with me in verse number seven. Notice what it says. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Now, I want to talk to you, first of all, about the first part of that. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Well, listen, I want you to understand that the Word of God warns us. It warns us before we get into trouble. It doesn't give you a whole lot of things how to get out of trouble except trust in the Lord. But it warns us before we do get in trouble. Okay? So so we need to understand that there's reaping and there's sowing. Okay? Guess what? If you reap corn, I mean, if you sow corn, guess what? You're going to reap corn. If you sow wheat, you're going to reap wheat. And so this warning is not just good for the church, but it's good for the world. Now, it's amazing how when we think of sowing, how many things that we as Christians just pass by and blow off? Guess what we've been sowing as a world? Now, I might not be invited back, so I'll say this. Gay rights is wrong, okay? When God says something's wrong or it's, in a, in a, in a, uh, uh, it's something wrong with it, then there's something wrong with it. Abortion is sin. It's, it's murder, okay? Um, devaluing now the family and marriage is wrong. God has something to say about these issues, okay? So, so we need to understand when we talk about devalue, devaluing the family, you need to understand that Satan has three main targets because he has three institutions. God established three institutions and all three of those institutions are targets of Satan. Number one, the family. You wonder why families are breaking up? That's Satan's target. You wonder why you can't get along? That's Satan's target. Number two, his other institution is government. Look how much dysfunction we have in government, not just United States, but all around the world. That's not by accident, but that's Satan's target. Because when there's dysfunction there, there's dysfunction with the people. And then, guess what? Number three, maybe not here at, at Coastway, but guess what? The church is the third institution that God ins instituted. But guess what? Satan, that is Satan's target. He's after the church. Why? Because the church is so essential. Do you realize that the church is just like back in, in the Old Testament, do you realize that 
The children of Israel represented God, and they represented how a relationship between God and a nation should work. But And the world was to watch them as they honored God. Well, guess what? It's not Israel now, but guess what? It's our turn now. It's the church. It's the church now that represents God. So the question is, how good are we representing God as a church? Are we representing him well? Now, I'll let you answer that question. I haven't, I have an answer for that, but you need to understand that Satan is targeting those three institutions. So when you sow gay rights, when you sow abortion, when you sow this, um, this valuing the family. Um, and, and can I tell you something else? Many times involved in these things, Satan uses demons and demons possess people and, po and, and, and people that are possessed by demons commit ungodly things. So you don't need to wonder why would someone go into Walmart and begin to shoot people up or a grocery store or movie theater or whatever? Most of these people are demon-possessed. They're motivated by Satan. So that answers why, the big why question. Why would somebody do that? Well, Satan control, okay? But let me, let me, let me, let me move on. Let me move on. Now, you need to understand that God puts... In churches, a watchman on the wall. You have a watchman on the wall, Pastor Jeremy. And I want to pause here for a moment. And I want to tell you how important it is to support this man. And, well, you, you paid me to say this, right? So yeah. <laughs> you, you need to support this man. You don't have any idea many, uh, many times what he goes through as a pastor. I've been there. I know what he's going through. And guess what? Not only him, you need to pray for his wife and his family because they go through these problems with, especially his wife goes through these problems with him. He needs your support. And he needs it financially, and he needs it relationally, and on and on. He needs you. This can't operate. Now, because he stands here and he's able to exegete the word of God doesn't mean that everything's going right in his life. He needs your prayers. He needs your prayers on a regular basis, okay? So he's the watchman on the wall. God puts the watchman on the wall. Why does he do that? Well, first of all, you need to understand that the world has issues. The nation has issues. The church has issues. And individuals have issues. And so uh, when we think of the world, the world is living in disobedience and rebellion against God. The nation, the nation has moral issues. Why does bad things happen to the world? Because of the morals of our country. Biblical issues are very important in a country. God, if you look at scripture, God was really concerned about the world. We got scriptures that relate to that. God was concerned about nations. 
okay, Israel and so forth. God is also concerned about cities. Okay? But all of them have issues. Well, you need to understand the world is in disobedience and rebellion against God. They need Jesus. The nation is morally defunct. They need Jesus. The church many times is in disobedience. They need Jesus. Individuals are in rebellion against God, and I'm talking about Christians and non-Christians, and they need the Holy Spirit directing them. Now, as an individual, you need to understand something that helped change my life. I, I got connected to a verse that helped change my life. Maybe it'll change yours. The scripture tells us in, in, in Romans chapter 14, verse 12, I think it is, that everyone must stand before Jesus and give an account. We have to give an account for our lives. Everything that we do as Christians, we stand at the judgment seat of Christ and we give an account. If I'm not saved, woe be unto me, I got to stand at the white throne judgment and give an account. That changed my life. That's an awesome, awesome thought that one day I'll stand before the creator of the universe and I got to give an account. I got to give an account of my life, what I did as a Christian, okay? Very important. But here in the text, notice, notice in verse number um, eight, notice what it says in verse number eight. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from this flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows the Spirit will, from the Spirit, reap eternal life. Two choices. Do I want to sow the flesh? Now, anybody remember um, uh, Blue Eyes, uh, Frank Sinatra? You know this, one of his famous songs? I did it my way. Right? Now, Frank Sinatra did it his way. That's that's the flesh, having his way in our lives. Do you realize that we still have the old nature with us? And he wants his way. But over here is the spirit of God. And the spirit of God comes from, from prayer and, and fellowship and, and reading the word of God and so forth. That's very important, okay? So reaping and sowing. Well. Are you reaping to the flesh? Now, you can satisfy the flesh, but he is never completely satisfied. He might be satisfied for a minute, but the next day or next week or next month, he's going to want something else as we keep feeding the flesh. But we need to feed the spirit. Now, Paul gave warning here. Paul gave warning. Now, basically what he's talking about here is false teachers. Notice what he says in verse number 12 in our text. It says, it is those who want to make good showing in the flesh who will force you to be circumcised, very important, not only in order that they may be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Those are the circumcision do not, um, do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. 
So what is Paul saying here? Paul's saying that the Judaizers are coming and they're trying to get you to, yeah, this salvation thing is okay. This Jesus stuff is okay, but you have to add something to that. It can't just be Jesus alone. That's false teaching. Because salvation is by Jesus Christ alone. With nothing else. Zero. But the Judaizers are saying, no, you need to be circumcised. They're bringing the Jewish law into this. You need to be circumcised as well as all this Jesus stuff. Wrong. And every single writer, uh, uh, Paul, uh, well, Jesus first, Paul, John, Peter, all of them warn against false teaching and false teachers. Now, I want you to notice something. If you want to flip with me, you can. But I want you to go back in your book, and I'm sure Pastor Jeremy covered this, but look at chapter 1. You can kind of see the fire coming out of, of Paul's pen here, okay? Chapter 1, verse 6. I am astonished <laughs> that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to, different, to a different gospel. Not that there are another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, the latter part of verse uh, 8, it says, Let him be anathema or accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Let him be sent to hell. Paul wasn't playing when he first started. Now, he started off nice for the first few verses, but Paul was upset because when you look at chapter 3, I love what chapter 3 says. It says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has came in and turned the cart upside down? It was before you, the eyes that Jesus Christ, who published, portrayed as crucified, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works or the law by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Paul was upset because the Judaizers had come in and they had given them another gospel or they had added on to the gospel works. Paul says, let them be anathema. Let them be accursed. So that's important. Warning. That's why we have um, good pastors, watchmen watching over and for us. Next point. Notice, notice in verse number, uh, back in Galatians chapter 6. Notice in verse number 9. Let us, let me, let me do this so I can see. Okay. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Can I tell you? Please don't give up. 
Whatever you are involved in doing, keep doing it. In our notes, weariness. Satan will use that. It's okay to be weary in the work or tired in the work, and I was there many a day, but it's not good to be tired of the work and throw in the towel and give up. Don't give up. Keep on sowing. Sowing the word of God. Whatever God has given you to do, keep on sowing. Sowing good seed. Keep on serving. I heard um, Pastor Jeremy out a little while ago talking about serving and what it means. Keep on serving. Jesus Christ came and he says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And listen, if serving was good enough for Jesus, where's that put up? Serving. If you're not serving the Lord, you need to get involved in serving the Lord. Um, service is, is part of being a Christian. God did not just save you because you look good or you talk good or, or you got a high education or anything. But he saved you because he loved you, but he also saved you to work. That's why you're still here as a Christian. If not, he could have just took you to heaven and been done with it. But he left you down here to serve. If I'm coming across too strong, I'm sure I'll be told, but uh, this is the way the Lord has given it to me. We got to keep sowing. We got to keep serving. We got to keep sharing the word of God. We got to keep sharing the gospel. We're in a dying world. Since I've been up here, probably thousands have went to hell because they don't know Jesus. And it's our job to make sure the world knows who Jesus is and that he's the only way. Can I tell you something? Sharing the word of God, sharing the gospel. There's four reasons why we should share the gospel. Four reasons. Reason number one, I should share the gospel because it's commanded. God has commanded us to share the gospel. And it's not just for the preacher. It's for the church. Number two, why should I share the gospel? Because guess what? Eternity is at stake. Can you think of a word in the dictionary that is more important than eternity? You know how long eternity is? No, you don't. Because <laughs> it's forever. And we can't wrap our mind how long forever is. So the world needs the gospel. And we have the medicine to change the world because eternity is at stake. And if I don't share the gospel or we don't share the gospel, the world's going to hell. Now, I know that's not popular nowadays, but there is a hell. Now, number three, we should share the gospel because it's too good not to tell. Listen, if, if you found out the cure for cancer and you kept it to yourself, how would, that, how would that feel? You kept the cure to cancer to yourself and all these people are dying that needs that medication. 
Well, guess what? We have something greater than the cure for cancer. We have the cure for sin. And that's eternal life through Jesus Christ. Okay? The fourth reason. Because the love of Christ constraineth me to share the gospel. He motivates me. He moves me. Because I love him, but first because he first loved me. So why should I share the gospel? Again, it's commanded. Uh, number two is it's, it's eternity's at stake. Number three is too good not to tell. If you read chapter four of John, the Samaritan woman, I mean, the woman at the well, she went back and told, hey, look, guess who I heard? Guess who I ran into? <laughs> Jesus. The world needs Jesus. And number four, the love of Christ should constrain us to share the gospel of Christ. So we got a lot of sowing. We got a lot of serving. We got a lot of sharing still to do. Now, I would like for you to, um, I, I want to look at, I don't know how my time's going, and I can't see, wait a minute. Okay, I, I better get moving. Okay, now, <laughs> uh, listen, 1 Corinthians, I, I tell you, when you get up here, sometimes it gets good to you when the Word of God starts, the Holy Spirit uses you. But anyway, um, in 1 Corinthians, one of my life verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Finally, brethren. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding, where? In the work of the Lord. For as far as we know, our work in the Lord is not in vain. Isn't that a great promise? What a perspective. Everything I do, the things that you did back in, in, two, in 2010, guess who has a record of it? And guess who remembers it? And guess who doesn't? I have no idea what I did back in 2010. But God does because he has a record. And that's what he's saying. Be not deceived. I mean, I'm sorry. Um, finally, brethren, be steadfast, faithful. Faith. Listen, we, we got to stay faithful. Got to stay faithful to the word of God. So we need to be uh, steadfast in faith, unmovable in hope, faithful in the work, and will be rewarded by the Lord. That's a promise. And he got a good computer that he keeps track of everything that you do for him. I have tried to make a commitment. I'm not saying I keep this every day, but I try to make a commitment to the Lord that every single day I want to do something for the Lord. Something that's going to count for eternity. What a commitment every day to do something that's going to count for eternity. Because one day you'll give an account, as I mentioned before, okay? Very important. I'm going to move on. Now, notice the next point, the writing. Guess what? Paul wrote 13 books, maybe 14 if you include Hebrews, okay? And guess what? Paul changed the Christian world with a pen. Look what it says in verse 11. See with with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Paul says, I'm writing this one. He probably had a ghostwriter that wrote some of his other. But he says, I'm writing this. But I want you to understand that Paul changed the world with an ink pen. He was not a great orator or anything like that. He was not good to look at as, 
as some writers have said, okay? But when he wrote a letter, he wrote doctrine and he wrote duty. Doctrine, usually at the first of the epistle, then duty at the end of the epistle. In, in, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul, Paul says, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says in Philippians 3, he says this. Um, he says this, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in God in Christ Jesus. Paul was constantly pushing Christianity, exalting Christ, exalting the word of God. But when you look at Paul, he says, I fought a good fight, I finished the course, and I kept the faith. And he says, now is laid for me a crown of righteousness. Paul said, Paul was, was a fighter. Uh, Paul didn't go down easy. Paul wrote subjects like the, on the church, Christianity, prayer, life, death, eternity, the Trinity, the gospel, mercy, grace, love, hope, false teachers, faith, walking in faith, armor. And he talked about the judgment seat of Christ. All of these issues are in Paul's epistle. So we've looked at the word. We looked at the warning. We've looked at the weariness. We looked at the, the work. We looked at the writing. But now I want to look at the way. Notice in the text, in verse number 14, but as far be it from me, the boast except in the cause, the cross of Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. One of my other life verse is I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ live in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When Christ was crucified, I identify with that crucifixion. But, you know, I want you to understand there's something about the cross because the way is the way of the cross. Do you realize that in the Old Testament, my time's running out, I know. In the Old Testament, the cross was given to Israel in the tabernacle. Do you realize the layout of the tabernacle was the cross? When you went to the brazen altar, then uh, the, um, uh, when you first went in, it was the brazen altar, the laver, and then you went into, um, into the um, Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, there was the uh, candlestick and there was the showbread. And then when you go further into, uh, I'm sorry, the holy place, and then you go into the Holy of Holies, was the mercy seat, which really showed the cross. Israel knew about the cross in the Old Testament because that was the only way of salvation. Remember when the children of Israel had escaped Egypt and the Passover was going to come, a deaf angel was going to come? He says, look, when I see the blood, I will what? Pass over. Why? Because the blood was on a lintel and a doorpost, which indicates the cross of Christ. The cross is the only one, only way. Suffering and shame. Jesus died on that cross. 
But aren't you glad when they told him, Jesus, look, if you come down, we'll believe you. Just, just come down from the cross. Aren't you glad he didn't come down? Did not come down from the cross because he thought of me and he thought of you. And that blood had to be shed there on the cross. Hebrews, Hebrews 12 says, Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The cross is supposed to be that of shame. And many say that he hung there nude as he died for you and me, as that blood was shed. So it's, 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 it's got to be the cross. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it. Not ashamed of the cross. Um, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, what, except by me. Why? Because of what he did at Calvary on the cross. There was a story of a little boy. A little boy was lost, and he was sitting on the curb, and he was crying because he couldn't find his way home. Please stop by and talk to him. And he said, little boy, what's wrong with you? He says, I can't find my way home. I'm lost. He says, well, the police said, well, tell me something around or something maybe that, that you know, will help us identify where you live, the street and so forth. Little boy said, I don't know. I don't know. But then he says, wait a minute. On the corner of my street, there's a church. And on that church, on the top of it, is a big cross. If you get me to the cross, I'll find my way home. Now, friends, it's got to be by the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. That old rugged cross, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. I love that old cross with the dearest and best. For would I be lost, sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies lay down, at last I lay. Down I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. It's the way of the cross. There's no other way. That's where our sins was paid for. So we looked at weariness, the work, the writing, the way, and the walk. The walk is very important because you need to understand our walk is important. Now, notice what he says back in our text. Notice in verse number 16 and 17, he says, As for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy uh, be upon them and upon Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The walk of the believer is so important. Why? The world is watching. The world is watching how you act. The world is watching how you handle trouble. The world is watching how you handle tragedy. The world is watching how you handle sickness. The world is watching. 
So our walk is so important. But the scripture, Paul says, we walk by faith and not by sight. And many times Christians got that reversed. And we walk by sight. What I see, I believe. But Paul says, no, we walk by faith and not by sight. But also, do you realize as we walk, do you realize that, that we are salt and we are light in the world? That, that salt has an effect on whatever it touches. We should have an effect in the world that God has put us in. Salt and light both have an effect. That light has an effect upon darkness. So as we walk, you need to understand this, and I know my time's up. You need to understand this, that Jesus Christ is not just our Savior. Jesus Christ is our shepherd. What does that mean? That means he walks with me. He talks with me. He tells me that I am his own. He walks with me. But also, guess what? Not only do I have the shepherd with me as I walk, I also have the Holy Spirit who is with me as I walk. And as we close, we look at the way to walk. But I want, to notice, I want you to notice the wish, and I'm closing. Okay, notice in verse number 18, 618. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers, amen. Now, he is making a wish of God's grace, which is God's favor. God's favor. Now, I want you to understand something. There is saving grace and there's living grace. Saving grace is what, what Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. We are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Living faith is by God's grace. I made it here to church. I make it to my job every day. By God's grace, I have three cents in the bank. By God's grace, he's given me things. That's living grace. So Paul wishes grace upon them. And I'm going to close with this, if you don't mind, and I'm done. This is the faithfulness of a Christian and the commitment of a Christian as I close. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back. I won't let up. I won't slow down. I won't back away or be still. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tainted visions, Worldly talk, cheap giving, and dwarf goals. My faith is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable. My mission is clear. I won't give up, shut up, let up, won't have stayed up, stirred up, prayed up for the cause of Christ. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till everyone knows until he stops. And when he comes for his own, he will have no trouble recognizing me because my banner have been made clear.
Paul's letter to the Galatians. Thanks for your attention. Let us have a prayer.